0: Welcome to Goodwill Hunters. Here we'll explore the ultimate question how to use profits for purpose. It's been said business must help solve the global challenges we face. In this podcast, we explore how. How can the private and not for profits work better together? What truly constitutes aid and progress? And how can we transform international development? Here we talk with the thought leaders, the game changers, the intellectuals, and the campaigners. I'm your host, Rachel Mason Nunn, and this is Goodwill Hunters. Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of Goodwill Hunters. Today on the show, we have Simon Doble. Simon is the founder and CEO of Solar Buddy. He is an inventor and social impact entrepreneur specializing in creating innovative solar solutions for people living in energy poverty. A humanitarian at heart, Simon is determined to create socially aware businesses that will have a lasting positive impact on both people and the planet. Simon, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Rachel. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, I know what a hectic schedule you have. You've just returned from Hong Kong, you're in Brisbane this morning, you're in Melbourne now. You're you're very busy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Off to Canada on Monday, so
0: yeah. Gosh. Quite wow. a the life of an entrepreneur. Um, well, I'm glad that you could make the time to chat with me. Uh, so I wanna start with a statistic. Usually I start with background on the the organisation, but I actually think it's more compelling if we start with a statistic today. 1.4 billion people don't have access to modern electricity. So 1.4 billion people don't have access to modern electricity. And as of 2016, just 3.7% of the rural population of PNG had access to electricity, according to World Bank data. So that's just 3.7%. Can you start by telling us what energy poverty is and why it 's such a problem
1: sure thank you um, well obviously those statistics are, are really testament to how big the problem is um, energy poverty is ultimately divine, defined by the UN Foundation and they have a very good um, they have a good very good statement that defines it saying that energy poverty condemns billions to unfulfilled futures ill health and perpetual cycles of poverty and I think that 's a really really strong statement because it creates that constant poverty where people can't work after dark, they can't study after dark, they can't get themselves the skills and, and the ability to get themselves out of poverty, and that's a real issue. Um, so, energy poverty literally means um, one in four people, when the sun sets, they're they're in darkness. Whether that's from light, they can't, they don't have much, uh, any power for cooking or heat. Um, and to be able to see him work at night, so it's it's a huge issue. It's one that isn't it's slowly coming into into the conversation now, for for the general public. It's obviously been around for for for, for you know forever, um, but we're all working hard to to try and end it as, as best we can.
0: Mm. I was giving some thought today on why energy poverty has not historically reached the same level of recognition as a lack of access to health care or a lack of access to education. And I, I thought perhaps it's because it's not as tangible. Energy poverty doesn't immediately result in a disease or um, you know something that's immediately measurable and concrete, but yet the manifestations of it are so profound, as you've explained. Do you, do you agree? What's your take on that?
1: I, I totally agree. It's, it's a really strange um, phenomena that, that energy poverty isn't so highlighted because in, in, of the impact of what it creates. You know, economically, uh, families that live in energy poverty, one in four people on the planet, they spend between 25 and 40 percent of their income. And this is very, very, very low income. We're talking two, two, two and a half dollars a day um, on on uh, fuel to cook or see or heat their homes. Um, which, obviously, that's like you and I spending our mortgage payments or rent payments and car payments just going up in smoke every night. So that's a huge issue. And you mentioned health. And and there's a statistic um, from the World Health Organization between 4.3 and 4.7 million people die from energy poverty associated diseases every year, which is actually more than HIV and malaria combined. But you're right, not many people have these conversations. And ultimately, that's one of the reasons, one of the key reasons why I started Solar Buddy to, to have conversations like this.
0: Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about why you start, started SolarBuddy. Buddy. So take us back to 2012, which was the year that you started the Doble Group. Is that correct?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's when the the company was formed. Uh, The idea was from 2011, uh, when I really started unearthing what energy poverty is. Um, But yeah, you're right, the the double group was formed in in 2012. Um, Ultimately, Rachel, I I read an article in Time magazine uh, in 2011. I had some ideas in my head about some solar products and stuff. But uh, the turning point for me was, was an article in Time that defined energy poverty as the world's worst form of poverty, and at that moment, I, I didn't know anything about energy poverty, and I, I was mortified with myself. So uh, so that led to a lot more uh, undertakings and readings and research, and, and a general sort of inqu- inquisitive nature around uh, around what I was doing and reading. And I ended up realizing or, or unearthing that even in in refugee camps, UN sponsored refugee camps, um, there was a, there was still energy poverty. Families were cooking kerosene lamps. Burning kerosene lanterns inside home, inside tents. They were using uh, primitive forms of fuel to cook with inside tents, uh, which obviously creates its own issue. And uh, I, I even realised that there was ration cards, and there still is ration cards given out to refugees in camps um, to provide kerosene. And I found this a real a real problem, and, and I wasn't very happy about it. So. Um, the, the Burford Doble Group was built around a patent idea that, that I created from from unearthing all this information.
0: Yeah, wow. Um, okay, there's a lot of questions there I'd like to ask, <laughs> but let's let's start with the concept for Solar Buddy. So when we first met last year, you brought one of the Solar Buddy lights in, and it was so compact and such an attractive design, and. It was so inspiring to think of the impact that something seemingly so small was having on, on families and students throughout the world. Ooh. So can you tell us about the process of creating the light itself? And for our listeners that haven't seen the light, can you, that haven't seen the light? That, was, <laughs> 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 that sounds very
1: profound. Hopefully they see the light after this. <laughs>
0: um for our listeners that haven't seen the solar buddy light um can you describe what it entails
1: sure so um so basically the 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 light I brought in to show you we my team and i we sat down um just over three years ago now with with the aim of raising awareness and ultimately engaging children and other stakeholders um to learn about energy poverty and then be part of the solution by, by providing a bedside lantern, essentially, to, to children all over the world. That's, that's the ultimate essence of what we're trying to do at Solar Buddy. Um So the light was designed based on that philosophy of getting light into children's hands. Um, so it's designed for children to, to, to use and understanding in their intuition to operate. It's very, it's very simple in that way. Um, but we designed it in a kit format, so people participating in our program actually have a hands-on experience of of assembling and making something that is literally going to illuminate a child's future so um it's it's used by uh unhcr australian aid have used it and we're in negotiations with with other agencies around the world to to have this as a as a standardized sort of light um but yeah it's 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 a it's a lovely looking thing and and children love it which is the main thing
0: Yeah. yeah can you tell us more about australian aid what, where is the um, solar buddy u- being used in our Australian aid program?
1: Uh, this was two years ago. The Australian aid purchased a, a fair amount of these lights um, for their South Pacific disaster relief program. So I don't know the exact countries that they've gone to. Um, they were uh, stored in Sydney and being dispatched over time over the last couple of years to uh, to work in the in the in the field that's needed. That's great. So I don't know exactly what countries are. I'm afraid. So.
0: Yeah. No. That that's great. And they make so much sense in disaster relief. I actually hadn't thought of it through that lens. Um, that yeah. That when there is an urgent need to provide energy and utilities are completely unavailable. That they they make perfect sense. The other thing that I really like about solar budding. You triggered my memory just then when you were talking about how it's assembled. Is the way that people engage with the development sector is generally. For, the, for most Australians, I would say, through donations, through purely financial donations. The cool thing about Solar Buddy is you get to make something, you get to write a letter, and it's going to be hand-delivered to people in need. So it engages the senses. It's very kinetic. It's, you know, it's a lot more hands-on than other ways of engaging in development. Have you found that people have had that response?
1: Oh, 100%. Uh, Every day, every single day, every single person I engage with. uh, It gives me goosebumps just mentioning it now. Um, You're you're exactly right. The the, the feel-good factor, I, I call it bookend goodness. Everybody participating, whether they're whether they're learning, engaging, sending a letter, uh, making a light, providing light for children, the children at the other end are receiving, having an environment for them to learn in and read uh, books under. It's literally every there's so many touch points and so many emotional um, elements to it that, it that I think that's testament to the growth that we've had in in such a short period of time. Um, I'm, I'm part of a team that that's created this, and, and uh, so I'm not going to take all the glory. Absolutely not. But uh, it, it, the, the wonder of it is, is those different elements, which are really nice. Um, very, very aware of the different forms of fundraising, and not, I would never criticise them, but. Um, I think the more we engage with donors and stakeholders and, and raise their eyebrows of, of, in, of interest and engagement and somebody's walking away from donating, feeling like they've achieved something and learned something, then we have the ability to scale what we do and, and give back on the donation as well as, as, as a feel-good factor. And, and I think that's quite important.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And we talk so much on this show about fundraising fatigue. It's an epidemic that our not-for-profit sector faces in australia and we need to find these new and innovative ways for donors to engage and to feel connected and i think the solar buddy model just nails that thank you thank you we
1: we we, 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 i don't like using the term uh, donor fatigue but it's very much out there um very aware of it but I, i also think that it's it's important for for donors to feel connected um we we always provide back as many images of the children and what they receive and, and we try and build communities that way between schools school to school or company to school and i think that's that's a really nice way of leveling the playing field as well um, it makes the children feel connected at the other end um, in, in, in the countries that we support. Uh, they feel like they've really got somebody out there that's got their personal back um, and is supporting them personally. And, and I, I think there's something very magical about that as well. Um, but we're also very focused on, we're not, we're not creating the, the continual sort of cycle of donor. Uh, we're, we're trying to create environments for children to study in, to get the skills to have a good career and uh, and make a real uh, a real go of their lives that, that they they should have the right to do so
0: yeah i love that which which draws on a much broader theme in development which is exit strategies and and organizations entering communities having an awareness of when exactly they're going to leave. And that's a really logical end point for you because as you've said, you deliver the lights and you know that the knock-on effect that has on the capabilities of students is very profound. You, you shouldn't be in the same community year after year giving them the same lights. That doesn't no, make sense. No, so no. it's it's a really great model.
1: Yeah, that makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Um, one of the pivotal moments in my, my life, my career, was uh, I was stood in the middle of the... The desert in Somalia, chatting to an Ethiopian lad about uh, USAID and, and the, aid, the aid budget and food falling out of the sky over many years and what's that created in the psyche of his people. And, and um, it really made me realize that from a, even from a young man, it's never been outside of his country, what, what that makes him feel and how it makes him feel and how it makes his community feel. And that was a long, long time ago for me, but, but it, it's, it stayed with me and, and informed the sort of ideas and concepts that we're trying to bring to Solar Buddy. In literally create just creating a, a simple environment for a child to be able to sit and read a book after night after dark. That's all we're trying to do. No different to any other child in across the developed world that turns on a bedside lantern and, and sits and reads a book and do their homework. It's exactly the same and the reason they do that is because they want to have a better future and 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 that's what we're trying to do for, for kids elsewhere so.
0: yeah yeah, that's really well put. Now, I want to talk about the Kokoda Track Foundation. So, Kokoda Track and Jen, the wonderful CEO of Kokoda Track, both have a, a very, a very uh, close place in my heart. Not only because Jen was the first person to agree to be on this podcast, um, but also because I just love the work that Kokoda Track Foundation does. And I know that Solar Buddy works very closely with Kokoda Track Foundation in PNG. So, can you comment on that partnership? and uh, maybe share with us some of your recent adventures in p Oh,
1: there's so many. Firstly, um, <laughs> Jen is absolutely one of the most amazing people on the planet. Uh, I'm humbled to be in her company whenever I am. She's, she's a phenomenal woman in, in every aspect. And uh, Solar Buddy would never be where we are in such a short period of time without it. Not just Jen's support, but KTF support and, and their guidance as well on, on, you know what can be considered a minefield in when you're launching something fairly innovative in, in you in this sort of space. So uh, Jen's been very much a mentor of mine over the last two and a half years in in, in this, and, and I'll be forever grateful. But um, we we get we get lots of uh, lots of adventures in, in Papua New Guinea. Um, just last weekend. Uh, not the weekend just gone, but the weekend before we were there and distributed, uh, I think, 1,700 lights to children on a Saturday afternoon. Um, our flights were meant to be landing in, in Milne Bay on a Friday morning, but we couldn't because the weather was so bad. So we ended up going on Saturday, and the children were so excited they came back to school on the Saturday uh, to see us. And uh, that's the sort of magic that, that happens when you do something like this and, and uh Jen, Jen is a phenom- KTO is a phenomenal organization and we're very, very proud to to partner with them. Which has resulted in, I think to date, um 16,000 lights across Papua New Guinea now, into sixteen thousand children's hands. So
0: Wow. wow. How important is it for Solar Buddy to have these really great distribution partners?
1: Uh, we would never be able to achieve what we can if, if we didn't have such amazing partners. We're, we're a small team. We're, we're based predominantly in Australia. We do what we do, engaging with schools and corporates in, in telling our story and in, in creating the the, the groundswell for, for the lights in the first place. But the biggest task on our behalf is is the donation, the distribution, the last mile distribution to, uh, to the schools and communities that, that we support. And that's all thanks to our NGO partners that have a very specific role in each country that they support. Uh, we could never do it without them. Um, they're very specialized in what they do. They're very passionate about what they do. And, um, and, yeah, we like I say, we would never be able to do what we do with such a small team without the support of them. But it goes both ways. We're supporting them. So, you know,
0: <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, it's a, it's a really great model for collaborative charity development work uh, where we're supporting each other And um, generally it's been amazing there are some, you try and build some partnerships and it, it can be difficult because it, sometimes the cards are really held close to people's chest and they don't want to, to collaborate which I find strange to be honest with you um, but our partners are, are phenomenal and, and uh, testament to what we do
0: yeah yeah definitely and uh, i have so many thoughts on on collaboration and innovation but i i think that the solar buddy model is just epitomizes good collaboration in the sector and it's exactly what we need more of
1: yeah
0: before we get off the topic of png and can we talk about the impact that Solar Buddy has had in PNG? So I love statistics and data, and you've got mm-hmm. a bit of that, which is great. Um, so you found that students study for seventy-eight percent longer with a solar light in PNG. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. That data is specific to PNG, isn't it? It is. Yes.
1: Right. Um, so, so,
0: what methodology did you use to to collect that data, and what what impact does that data have on your work?
1: Okay, so the KTF Foundation completed the the, the recent study. Um, we just, I'm just pulling up the study right now. So uh, perfect. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so the whole study was conducted in Oro Province, uh, which is which is near the Kokoda Track, uh, which is obviously where the KTF Foundation was was. Originally focused, now they're operational across the whole of Papua New Guinea, and there was 1,500 children that received one of our solar body solar lights in Kokoda Primary School, Kokoda Elementary, Kakoda High, Kibara Elementary, Kibara Primary, Gurari Elementary, and Gurari Primary. And um, we ultimately found out that that the children uh, are now studying. There was fifty three percent girls and forty seven percent boys aged between six and fourteen predominantly with a few uh, older teenagers in there um, and we basically found out that the children are now studying seventy eight percent longer um, under one of our lights as opposed to what they were using before and that what they were using before it was either a candle a hurricane hurricane lamp which is basically a kerosene lantern or a torch uh, with replaceable batteries, which are very, very, very expensive. And there's lots and lots of reasons for, for why the study time has gone up as it has. One is that Generally, the torches are shared between the family. So, if, if the father or the mother or elder brother or elder sister needs to go to the toilet or go and wander around or to to whatever, then um, then the, the child doing the homework will miss out on the torch. They can't continue doing the homework. Hurricane lamps are obviously very very bad. Um, it's very uncomfortable to sit around one for so long. Um, so they can't they can't do that. And then obviously with our lights, we we give every single child in the school alike. So whether there's three brothers, three sisters, six kids, it doesn't matter. Everybody has one. So they all have their own individual area at home to, to sit and read, which, you know, it, obviously that's what we want to try and achieve. So when we had the results for this, um, for this study, it was, you know, one of the best days of my career so far to, uh, to understand the impact that we're having, which is a very, very simple study, but it's, um, but it's, it's, it's very,
0: you know, it's it's, it's amazing. It's, <laughs> it's a simple study, but it's exactly what you would do at this point for Solar Buddy. And now that you have grown so rapidly, there's scope to expand that. But th- that is such a compelling statistic, and you triggered my my thinking there with replaceable batteries. Not only are they expensive, but they're terrible for the environment as well, like balloons um, and. We haven't even talked about the environmental element of Solar Buddy as well. I mean, that's a huge drawcard of this, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, the, we partner with WWF, and obviously, you've no doubt seen their recent report from the last few days. And just just the fact that we partner with WWF, I think, is is uh, is a huge validation of the work that we do environmentally. Um, we're just in the process of launching our battery recyclable program. Um, the only thing that really depletes in the, in the solar lights that we, you know, the solar body solar lights is the battery. After two and a half years, it, it, it will start being less, uh, less performing than, than what it was brand new. So we're now starting to replace the batteries that, that come in the actual solar body light. Um, what we're trying to do is partner with an organization that manages e-waste and in, 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 um, waste generally, to then bring those batteries back to Australia to, uh, to, to environmentally manage the, the waste of them. That, that in itself, if you break that down and look at it from a program-specific sort of agenda, it's phenomenal for us to be able to orchestrate thousands and thousands of batteries to re- be replaced in, in solar lights around the world. Uh, to engage with children, to open up their own solar light, change their own battery, provide provided with uh, safe packaging back to Australia for, for safe for safe waste. If you actually just just condense that into one one program that's phenomenal in itself and that's just one element of what we're what we're building and obviously the children that that um that replace our own batteries they're learning as they go we're engaging with the schools, so the teachers are talking to them about the wirings and the panel and how it all works why the battery needs to be replaced so there's so many um there's so many uh elements to it that, that, that are really amazing and obviously that means the light has a you know, our aim is for the like to have a lifetime of, of a child's education. Um, so, environmentally, we're, we're preventing this this uh, this, this um, waste issue that, that can that can arise with you know some some less uh, quality products that are put out there on, on the market. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. I want to talk now about entrepreneurship and socially aware business. More broadly, drawing upon your experiences with Solar Buddy, but also your experiences throughout your career so far, let's start with the definition. What do you define as a socially aware business?
1: Okay, that's a really interesting question. Um, a very hard one to answer, to be honest with you. Um, personally, I, I feel any any business that is is uh, core to its identity fundamentally has a has a viewpoint of taking care of other people as well as their own interests, then obviously that defines a social business. Um, I I think historically we've been taught, we've been raised up on um, the idea that business is all about gain and financial benefit and um, capitalizing on opportunity and for, for, for overall gain. And I think in the last 10 years, it's really come to the forefront of people's thinking that that isn't, necessarily the correct, well, it's not the correct way. Um, So I I love the fact that so many startups and businesses are really embracing embracing social enterprise as a core identity to what they are, to, to attract the right people into their organizations. And I think any business that can sit down and say, we are about profit, everybody's got to make a profit, that's business, unfortunately, you know, that's just the way it is. But we do it with the right in the right way, looking after the right people and our global community, then um, then I think, for me, that's what epitomises a social business. Um, and I think we should all sign up to that personally.
0: Yeah, I agree. So- something I feel so passionate about and something I get to do a lot in my job now is deconstruct this perception that for-profit businesses are inherently bad. It's, it's wrong. It's a really limiting belief and... The sooner we can see the incredible power of profits when used correctly, I think the 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 quicker we find solutions to a lot of Absolutely. the challenges that we're talking about.
1: Absolutely, you, you the 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 concept of of like you say bracketing for-profit businesses is is wholly bad, is 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 ridiculous. Um, you're never going to change the mindset of billions of people that work for for-profit businesses or run for-profit businesses um, with that sort of idea. It, it just doesn't work. But if you if you bring in a, a, a different philosophy of we have a responsibility, we have a we have a, a an opportunity to do better things for not just ourselves and our bottom lines, but for our our community, our external community, and in the world generally. Then, and I think it's happening. It just needs to happen a lot quicker. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting time to be in this space. We're, we're at the birth of something that's really going to transform the world, as far as I'm concerned, um, and make it a better place. And uh, it's, it's nice to be a part of it in, in some very small way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not in that smaller way. Uh, but... I think it's a really interesting time in Australia at the moment as well. We had Andrea D'Almeda on the show last season, and Andrea is the CEO of B Corp Australia. Ooh. And we talked about the, the law reform that's currently happening in, happening in Australia, mirroring what's already happened in the UK, France, and other places, where we're changing the Corporations Act to actually have a new definition of a company called a benefit company. And this is a company that's mission is enshrined in its constitution and can't be changed with a CEO change or anything like that. It's called mission lock. And I think the fact that there is such an appetite for this law reform is indicative that companies that have a social purpose want to be able to protect it and want that purpose to transcend any personnel changes or funding changes and things like that. There is this inherent social purpose and you want to protect that. So it's a really interesting landscape in Australia at the moment. I'm not sure if if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Oh, oh, all day long. Can we do that for government as well?
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um,
1: uh, yeah, the, the, I, I love it. That's one of the best things I've heard in a long time, and I, I'm kicking myself I'm not more over that. To be honest with you, um, it's exactly how things uh, should be. Um, the The idea that you know, like like government, uh, a CEO or or a shareholders, a board board can can shift with the sand in, in their models and their ideas is is wrong. Um, the staff stay the. the the, the community stays, the the, the the world stage stays the same. Um, so the company should have its its focus to to be what it should be right from the start. Um, but I'd, I'd, I'd go back to government and that would be really nice to have the same.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it? <laughs> Let's make that happen. Um,
1: from a social point of view. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Now, I said to you before we started this recording that I went to the – Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Awards last night, which uh, is basically a beautiful celebration of entrepreneurship and leading entrepreneurs in the sector that are um, reflecting on their journeys and receiving some some very well-deserved recognition. And something that all of them had in common was this journey has not been easy there have been so many failures and so many speed bumps and it was just about keeping on going and and being your own boss and and being and being motivated can you reflect on the journey of solar buddy because i suppose from an external perspective you know you've got this great this great social enterprise you've got this great company everything's going really smoothly but it's a it's a process and it's a journey so can you comment on that
1: oh um yeah it's 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 uh I think when you really identify or or become true to who you are and and what your purpose and passions are then the 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 word work doesn't come into your vernacular it doesn't it doesn't come into your mind anymore and and I'm very very grateful that I managed to, to get to that point um which does enable you to sit there at midnight on a Sunday and you know, travel the world and, and some people think that's very glamorous, but it's, it's quite tough sometimes when you, you're getting off a plane and, and, uh, in a remote part of the world and, in you know, you're sorting out logistics and everything. But, um, but it's, it's, it's not easy, but the more you love it, the easier it is. And I genuinely adore what I do. I'm very humbled to be able to do what I do. Um, it's very, very, I don't want to use the words tough or hard work or anything like that, because if you really believe in what you're doing, then it's not hard and it's not tough, but it's just, it just looks like it to other people. Um, and people can knock me down for that. I, I don't mind, but I, I work hard and I, you know, I work long hours and, and all those different things. And I've sacrificed a certain amount and certainly a, a social life and, and everything. But, um, but I genuinely adore what I do. And every time I put a light into a child's hands and I see their smile for the first time of turning on the light, then every email at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night goes away, you know? And, um, and that's what it's all about. And, uh, and yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, wonderful to be a part of it. Uh, I've got an amazing team that makes things easier. Um, but, um, it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a lesson in resilience, I think, is probably a good thing to say. The, the best ideas are 1% of the, the, the actual, and I know that's a, a very well-known and well-said well, well said comment, but, you know, literally ideas are 1%. It's the 99% of the perspiration, the hard work that you have to put in to, to make that idea come to reality um, is what most people don't appreciate. But everyone's got a hard job. Everyone, you know, people to sit in a in a traffic jam every day to go to work and sit in an office. That's that's hard. That's you know, that's not easy. And mortgages to pay and everything like that. So um, you know, my my job isn't any harder than anybody else's. But um, I, I get a lot more satisfaction out of what I do. I know that much. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah that's I'm really lucky. well put. That's really really well put. And I agree that resilience is the key word there. Um. Cause entrepreneurship is as much about your business as it is about you as a person. And, and I think you've explained that so well. Now I want to finish by talking about the next 12 months for solar buddy, but also the next 10 years for solar buddy. <laughs> Tell me 12 months from now, what will solar buddy be doing?
1: Okay. Um, we'll be, we'll be live in the UK Uh, So we'll be operational in the UK, generating, um, we anticipate to get 200 schools online in the first three months in the UK as of January, um, which will be about 50% of what we have in in Australia already in the first two and a half years. So that's that's quite a good introduction over there. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, I fly to Canada on the weekend and and, uh, hopefully we'll be going live in Canada slash the US by June next year. Um, so we've got a lot of companies and, and a lot of educational platforms really supporting us in both those, those regions. Um, so we'll be a true global charity then, uh, registered in three different parts of the world. Um, we're going to really ramp up our, our school program. We have a new product and a new program coming out for the high schools across the world. Um, it, it, at the moment, the little Solar Buddy line is going to probably be rebranded Junior. It's still going to be called Solar Buddy, but it, the program will be Junior Buddy. Um, and then we have what's coming online called Student Buddy, which will engage with um, 13, 14, 15 year old students here in Australia and around the world to support. 13, 14, 15 year old kids in elsewhere around the world. Um, so that's a really nice program. Um, and then obviously we're we're gonna um, consolidate what we have with our corporate partners and build some long term strategies with them. Um, some really really key household names uh, companies in across Australia and the world to build some really good. Um, empowering and educational awareness programs to to really start talking about energy poverty and how we can all help to to end it basically. So some exciting times ahead.
0: (laughs) Such exciting times. Is it reasonable to say 10 years from now we will have eliminated energy poverty or be very close to doing so?
1: Um, I would love to be able to say that. I think there's so many amazing programs coming from all over the world. Uh, just just today, I was reading one about uh, this wonderful program. It's based in Melbourne, actually, um, partnering with some uh, a company in Germany and trading the excess solar that they create with um, communities in Bangladesh, um, which is beautiful, you know. So, and there's so many wonderful things out there that, that I have the uh, I'm in a fortunate position to be be exposed to, so yeah, I, I think we could certainly make a huge dent by the by 2030 20, 20, for the uh, UN SDGs announcement. That would be amazing, um, but there's a lot of people that, that need a lot of light. So um, and uh, but yeah, let's try. Let's yeah. do what we can.
0: Let's do it. <laughs> simon thank you so much this has been so inspiring and i've been so looking forward to having you on the show for a while and um i I love hearing about your journey and i'm so on board for the journey so thank you thank Thank you you for being here
1: thank you rachel It's, it's great and uh thanks for your support and look forward to seeing you again soon